Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Animoot, or welcome, I guess, if this is your first time. Uh, we are going to talk, as we always do, about animation-related stuff, and continuing where we left off last time, we're kind of going to go into building production pipelines. So this is, you've got an animation project, or you've got a series, or you've got a big studio project. How do you set it up? How do you set all of this up to make that happen? Like, what order do things need to be done in who's in charge of what da 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 so the whole pipeline how does that work how do you build one dang that's a big question <laughs> i don't know if there's a step-by-step -step checklist if you want to make a tv series to a b and c and i don't know if any one of us would have a single answer to all of those things no it's always different because none of us have certainly done that to such a large scale but I suppose there's definitely a couple of uh, irritations that come to my mind that even uh, large production companies tend to neglect. Oh, okay. Why don't you start with your, your irks? My main irk is not enough time spent developing the movement style. Well, that's okay. Years can be sunk into designing the look of a show without ever designing the movement for a show. And it's... It certainly happened on at least, probably more than once. Anyway, uh, having to receive some character designs and say, okay, animate this, and be like, these characters are not made to move. This is going to be brutal. Uh, and the amount of uh, time, energy, money, and all sorts of resources that can be saved if the character design is based around how they will eventually move. Like, not only will it be cheaper, but it'll, be, it'll look nicer in the long run as well. So say, like, um, uh, take, like, a really stereotypical, uh, like, manga character with a thousand belts and zippers and things oh, all over them, right? No. It's like, okay, that might work well for for a manga where, they, you know, the, you're drawing panels and, like, yeah, let's go all out, put, put as much detail in as possible. Animating it might be a good idea to tone it down a little. Yeah, I mean, well, depending on the style, because if someone hands you a character sheet that looks like that, then you go, well... Your option is a rig that has one perspective. Because, <laughs> you know, so you're not going to be doing frame by frame that kind of stuff, depending on the budget. I mean, if you've got millions of dollars, sure. I was going to say, even then, like having rigs with that much detail really limits their movement. It's like getting, getting an action figure or something that has so much like armor or clothing or extra parts that, you know, they, they can barely... They barely have any articulation to them. That, that works with animated puppets, too. The, the simpler they are, the more flexible they can be. So, and in the pipeline, you would like to see more attention paid to the movement. I feel like sometimes I do see this. Um, I think Disney is pretty good at this. Usually, if you look at their model sheets, there will be parts of the model sheets that show how the characters move and like what their shape looks like as they're moving a certain way. And what to do and what not to do. I, I know Wander Over Yonder in particular was really good about that and described how the characters should move, that they should be kind of liquidy in their motions. Yeah, that one's done, being done it all in one place, uh, which is good. So uh, I, 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 I guess more of that can happen. Uh, but sometimes it's a, it's like a big client thing. You know, they've come up to you being like, we want to make a movie or a whole series. And we have a stupid amount of money that we can just go up to a place and say, let's do that. Uh, but that means it, it's, you know, 
it's not an animation studio calling the shots. It's someone with a, a product or a cast of characters or something like that. Uh, and usually those characters are already made or they've invested Ooh. a ton of money in designers to get them made and then making them move is an afterthought. So this is uh, maybe things like a toy company will probably do that because, you know, they're made to be figurines first, not animated characters first. Um, I was watching, um, have you seen... Have you watched The Toys That Made Us yet? No, I haven't, but I've seen it on Netflix, yes. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's pretty good. Uh, so there's an episode about Hello Kitty, right? Uh, and they, it, you know, the character doesn't have a mouth. There's always controversy that's like, okay, does is it just sort of not seen when it's closed? Or is it canon that it l physically has no mouth? Apparently it's canon that it physically has no mouth. What's well, great for the animators? Well, on the contrary, when it came to making an animated series, the animators were like, no, this character needs to speak. And the, and the creators got, well, the creators got really upset being like, we don't want it to have a mouth. Um, now, I, I agree. You could have easily gotten around that by just being like, okay, we'll make the show narrated or something. And then or the heads move up and down. I mean, I've seen lots like that. Um, lots of video games, too, where when the character's talking, their mouth doesn't open, but their head will move up and down or something will happen to indicate that that's the character speaking. So, yeah, there's plenty of ways, plenty of ways around it. Indeed. But, but it is an example that where... Uh, a compromise. A compromise did happen, whether or not it actually needed to. What was the compromise? Did they end up making mouths? I think so. Yeah, they made a mouth. But yeah, it's funny that because when, like now, whenever you don't have to do a mouth, like the character's got a mask on, you're like, yes, yes, no mouths. <laughs> Same thing with the eyes. Another thing that takes a lot of animating. Anyway, so production, production stuff. Anything on the small scale. Uh, that you have like a bit of a checklist if you're doing a big multi-animator project. Okay, this is how I set it up. Yeah, okay, I do have a checklist. Well, we can start with like the small scale st one. Let's start with small scale and then you can talk about how you do yours. Mine's changed a lot because my production used to be I go get an audio clip of something I think was funny and I have like, wow, that'd be really great. And if it was with these other characters, that'd be really funny because it, you know, the audio from the one show fits what the characters in the other show are like. Da, da, da. So I just grabbed the audio clip and then animate it straight ahead all the way through. Done. That was, Those were the days. That was really easy. Now, production pipeline will look like um, coming up with the idea, writing the script, uh, casting the voice actors, which can be its whole a whole separate item that takes time and money. Uh, getting the lines delivered, putting together the audio play, which is basically just all of the audio minus sound effects usually and some idea of music so you have the rough audio track. Then you take that in, you rough out a storyboard, then you rough out the animation, and then you uh, finish the animation. Then you have to go through and master the audio. So that includes adding all of the sound effects, leveling things, sometimes doing some effects on the character voices, and then you get your finished episode. And I, I skipped a bunch in there. When you're doing the animating, there's also an After Effects stage. Usually there's a composition stage for me where you have to add in the backgrounds to the characters in a separate program. <laughs> then you have to do camera movements in that other program. So, yeah, the pipeline for me now is ridiculously complicated. But mm. I, it produces a higher quality piece. It just takes longer. Sometimes I wonder if it's worth it. But at least I know a lot more about production because I've done all of the steps by hand versus just like, oh, I'll grab some pre-made audio and hack together a thing without any effects. 
that's quite interesting. I wasn't expecting you to actually list off each one of those steps. Because uh, what I was going to go into was the journey of discovering of what steps need to be taken per production or how those steps uh, should be approached. Every animated project is quite different. I've gotten to dabble quite a bit in this, uh, in helping out different pipeline things. Never been able to just like completely direct one from scratch, but uh, I'll often be there at the beginning of a production, have a small bit of say or get brought in and look at like a service system and just be like, oh my God, this is pretty broken uh, and try and rejig it uh, and have some very good conversations with people who do get to build this stuff. Uh, and I think one of the most important things is to not get, ah, oh, this, this is a tricky one. Cause I was about to say, not get too, uh, baked into, uh, a tradition, a traditional routine. But then again, that's also one of, now that I'm thinking it, one of the things that can save you as well, because when you're building a brand new production line uh, and trying to figure out everything else for the first time, when you're halfway through, uh, that production, all you can think about is, oh man, I really, really hope we get a second season so we can completely throw away everything we've done so far and improve it, you know, make, make a new pipeline system based on what we've learned. Right. Uh, so I can definitely respect why um, successful and long-term studios tend to use similar methods for every project because it's they know it's a method that works. Unfortunately, every project is very different. So the same methods don't always translate exactly into the next project and they often end up getting, you know, you take the skeleton of what was there before and try and Frankenstein in the new parts and hope it works. Um, so I, I, I guess if I was in charge of one of these, it would be more about uh, taking all of those lessons from the past, but not being afraid to build up something completely new based on the decisions made of how this show will look, feel and move. Uh, so. Uh, particularly, I talk about this as a Toon Boom animator. Uh, Toon Boom is something I like to describe as the Swiss Army Knife animation software because it can tackle anywhere and everywhere across the 2D spectrum, from frame by frame to rigging and literally anywhere in between, like crazy hybrids between bonkers stuff. Like even mixing in 3D now with Toon Boom can do that as well. Uh, what about most live action films now where they have a large degree of animation in them. Like uh, a lot of people are talking about the live action Lion King, which kind of annoys me because it's not live action. It's at all. not I think, live I, action. I think we need a new genre now. We should call it hyper real or something. And uh, the production pipelines for that kind of stuff, I have no idea because I've only ever worked in straight media, more or less. Like it's just animating. It's not live action with animating on top of it. I haven't had to do any of that. So a movie like... I don't know, Infinity War. Right, yes, yeah, it's, it's two completely different methods of making a film all mashed together. Yeah, so that type of production pipeline, I imagine, is going to involve all the cast, the writing, the casting, and then, you know, the, starting to figure out your set locations, blah, 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 set design. Then you get the actors, you have to do all the motion capture for the animation, and then there's a whole process of actually animating all of these CG characters on top of the actors and blah blah blah. Then you have all the effects and the lighting and blah, blah. so complicated, so so needlessly complicated. So what it comes down to here is just the importance of pre-production as a whole. Unfortunately, a lot of the time there isn't 
really time for it because negotiations can happen for years but finally when a green light is given it's like okay make the thing now we expect a pilot by next tuesday (laughs) yeah okay so then you're just scrambling to throw together stuff using whatever you know you know whatever your system was in the past on this new production and what if that lasts for a two-year production sometimes i is it unavoidable sometimes I don't know. Uh, so making the right decisions is... I, okay, I'm curious. So let's say you go in, because you, you go into this meeting and there's some production pipeline and you look at it and then like, what is it like when you get there versus what you do to change it, I guess? Depends on how much authority you're given. Uh, like, you, you know... It's, some jobs I would be just m- murdered if I touched anything inside the systems. But there's also been times where I've looked at something and just been like, well, that's dumb. And then just changed it without getting permission from anyone. And it was fine. You know, the next day I just said, by the way, I completely restructured all of this. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. Thanks. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> if a place has been using a system for 10 years and you did that, that, that would be quite cross. They'd kick you. They'd be like, nope, that's not the, you play by these rules. These are, that's how we make the things here. Rah. It depends on the people, uh, you know, how yeah. well you know them, how well you work together. And there's, there's too many moving parts here to say, this is how you make a pipeline. Uh, communi- I, th- I guess just communication is probably the most important thing. If you're in charge of this sort of stuff, it would be about hearing out the people in charge of each uh, individual department and all the people in charge of those departments being willing to hear out the people who have to work inside those departments because keeping everybody happy is going to be really, really difficult uh, and there's no room for ignorance. I would suspect that the most effective pipelines are the ones, I guess, t- sort of s- designed by people who have experience with all of the departments to some degree. Yeah, I suppose th- those who have sort of made all the mistakes firsthand before and have been able to grow from them. <laughs> if an animator was supposed to try and figure out what to do in the writing stage, like if you have no experience with that, then but you're tasked to come up with it anyway, then it might look a little confusing. Same thing as if the client is the one who brings in the character designs, but they have no experience with how animation works, then the character designs are like, there's going to have to be some compromise to get those things to move. A lot of it will come down to the, like the inevitable balance that must happen is that of uh, budget and schedule. Yeah. Okay. Right. I believe pretty much any deadline is plausible depending on how much you're willing to stoop on the quality. (laughs) (laughs) You want to, let's make an animation and have it done tomorrow with, by one person. Oh, it can be done. I'm not going to say it's be good, but... Just have a still frame of a stick figure for 20 minutes. Done. And some talking. Like, we could animate this whole episode in an hour. But I'll tell you what it will be. It'll be a stick figure with, like, three or four mouths and then just randomize the mouths for the whole 20 minutes. Done. Have you ever done something like that and then it became a bit of a hit? (sighs) Maybe. I'd have to look through my archives. Well, I mean, the stuff of mine that's a hit was stuff I made eight years ago now and it's terrible so it's hard to tell if that stuff is a hit because it just was clever well just comparatively to the other stuff that you were doing at the time like this definitely happened to me where i was spending ages on a thing and then had a dumb idea that i farted out in four hours 
and it was way more successful than the bigger stuff. Yeah, I mean, everybody, I feel like everybody's bitter about that because it always happens, but I, I don't know. I don't know why it happens if it's just... In a way, we shouldn't be bitter about it because it's like, oh, yeah, successful thing after, like, minimal effort. The problem then is trying to capture that lightning in a bottle for the second time when you know it was just a fluke. It doesn't happen. It doesn't work. Well, it's the discussion with the, with the guys about the budget and the schedule, uh, communicating with them, making sure that they're happy and they know what they're getting. And then you're fine, I suppose, as long as they know exactly what they're getting. I don't know. I, I, I told you the story about the, the mouths and the eyes. Did I, did I talk about that during a recorded episode, though? I actually don't know if we recorded that. Let's, let's go through the story again. The mouths and the eyes. Let's hear this story about the mouths and the eyes. The project originally was like a hundred episodes of this fairly simple thing, but they cut about 40 of them, 40, 30. They cut a chunk of them for a different show and said, Hey, we're spending this portion of the budget on this other mini project that we need you to animate instead. I was like, ah, okay. I wish you told me that before. Before it all got confirmed, because they, they were all just all operating on a hunch of how much the animation would cost and how long it would take, and they drastically underestimated it. Particularly because this was about, I think it was about four to six minutes of constant speaking that needed to be delivered in, say, a week. Yeah. And none of it had been prepped before, so I was like, okay, that's... that's doable but i'll tell you what this is, this is the best way we should do it let's um for all these characters let's give them no mouths and just give them very expressive eyes so every character has has different eyes they look very distinctive and they're constantly swapping between all of their expressions on what they're feeling so you can you really get a sense that they're still speaking this um because this is like um i, I should say that it is uh, live action footage of like an object and they're sort of narrating their life. So it's like a, a live action thing with a drawn face on it. Uh, so the drawing is minimal. Okay, just dies. Cool. That'll work. Uh, and it will still look fairly decent. But they were like, no, we want mouths, please. I was like, okay. Um, but please understand with the, the, the time available, that mouth is going to be one set of expression, like a fairly neutral, kind of happy-ish to cover all bases mouth, because, you know, when you have, like, any sort of sad or angry mouths on top of happy ones, that's a whole new set of, of syllables you got to create. So it's like, okay, one set of expressions, that's going to be the same for every character. Uh, there's going to be no other expressions that move at all. So the eyes won't blink. They won't look around. So the only way you can really have eyes that are that blank, but still get a pass is if they're just dots. Like if they're <laughs> great big white eyes with pupils in the middle, they will just be staring into your soul for several minutes. So they're just dots, very plain mouth that doesn't change. And then that is lip sync true all the way through. And oh, it... It was still, it was pretty bad. I was not happy with the result at all. I don't think they were happy with it either. I mean, they didn't hire me again after that. So right, they yeah. probably didn't think I did a very good job, but I tried to, try to negotiate that. 
Um, but in the end, they're the ones paying for it, so they have to get what they want. Unfortunately, they may not realize what they want is isn't the way to go. But right, because and we, it's funny that you brought that up because we were just talking about the Hello Kitty stuff where they have no mouths and you and how to do, how to still have an expressive character without mouths. And you can do that through eyes. Oh yeah, that's a completely different example because that was. But no, but but same thing where your suggestion was, well, let's not give the mouths. Let's instead do the expression with eyes, and then you can have more animation. You can have more attitude and different types, right? But with the mouths, the Hello Kitty example is weird though because it's back to front. The animators were insisting that mouths existed, but this is back in a time where it was very traditional methods as well. Like you know, the old <laughs> Warner Brothers cartoons were always like, let's push the quality of the animation as far as we can. Oh gosh, I was watching clips from that stuff just today and it's incredible. Like every s- single character had these expressive frame by frame animated mouths and head like the whole head would move too and the and secondary animation everything like that. I just wow, that does not happen anymore. It's nuts, isn't it? It's a shame that the quality of 2D has overall gone down, but I, we, we've had to trade it off for efficiency because it's kind of that or nothing. If we didn't, 2D probably wouldn't be around anymore. Right, because you have to constantly outputting something. Otherwise, it's just in today's attention-driven market. There's... Yeah, sure, sure, traditional animation still exists. It'll never go away because it's a great art form. Um, but it's all about the money. Got to compromise. <laughs> and that's how you end up with... Uh... With two dots for eyes and one set of non-expression lip sync all the way through. Yeah, I, I, personally, I'm a real big fan of efficient animation. I love being able to watch a show that has very uh, simple design and movement um, because I can appreciate the hustle. That's just like, yes, like they found a solution and they got it done. And it's still like, it still looks decent. Like you can still connect with the characters. You can still follow the story. Um, but like... That that project was definitely pushing it. There's a yeah, the, an ex- excellent example of that is on Netflix, um, Agretsuko. Very very limited. Yeah, I love that show. It's but it still gets the story across right, but the animation is just so limited in how it's designed, which makes it really clever because you can get away with a lot but not have to do a ton of work. Yeah, it's somehow presented in such a way that it's almost a feature. Like, it's its style. You never really get that they're held back by that style or that they're cheapening out. Because there's definitely other shows out there where you can... You definitely feel that it's a bit crude and rough around the edges and this is because they had no choice but to dial it back. And you notice things improve as the season goes on because they start to find their feet and how to use uh, these systems and push them a bit further but the first episodes can be a little, hmm. Anyway. <laughs> I've seen it the other way around, though. I've seen the uh, the pilot be really good and then the series itself be toned down quite far back from what the pilot was. good example of that is Final Space. Um, the pilot for that was really fantastic. I've only seen the first episode of that, and I was like, wow, this show sure is pretty. Uh, but is that the prettiest one? It's still pretty, but... I- if you can, if you recall what the first episode looks like, go back and watch the trailer. Same art style, but the movement, the movement is a lot more complex. Yeah, they've got some really neat systems in play. I was so fascinated to figure out what's going on there. Yeah, so we we dabbled a little bit around production 
and talked a little bit about the types of efficiency you can have in shows when your production pipeline works well. It's a topic I'd really like to revisit if I can get hold of any uh, producers, directors, or people who are very heavily involved in making those decisions and how they feel about it, because I'm sure they'd have a lot to say about, you know, basically when they do or don't get to have a handle over their own production. Well, yeah, where where the compromises are. Yeah, and so some of the biggest lessons learned. So I think we'll we'll come back to this one. I think if if we can get some other people in, depends on how busy they are. Usually these people are very busy. <laughs> oh, of course, I mean, you're trying to manage anybody who's managing stuff is always everybody wants your attention because you're the manager. You're the person who can make the decisions. That's twenty first century. I think everyone's just busy all the time. <laughs> Well, I mean, are you really busy, though? Or are you just listening to a podcast to two people talking about animation stuff? <laughs> Don't call them out on it. <laughs> anyway, uh, this is Animoot. Thanks for listening, and catch you next week. Take care, everyone.